0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, and I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, I was just out in Iowa. The campaign is underway. We also have uh, the what looks to be maybe the beginnings of a constitutional showdown, maybe even a constitutional crisis in the. In in the horizon on the horizon here uh, between the president and uh, Democrats in the House,
1: it sure looks like we're like at a total standstill on multiple fronts. Uh, and uh, all these revelations and new information that comes out, we've got the possibility of the Attorney General being held in contempt of Congress. We have the I word suddenly making its way back into the conversation. And all the E word, executive privilege. It's off. It's often talked about, rarely asserted, rarely invoked. But there it is invoked. And and it's it, it's a big question for Democrats. How do you handle this now that the president has made clear he is. Not going to budge on these things.
0: Pelosi's taking questions about whether or not they can imprison people in the House uh, (laughs) who don't cooperate. I mean, we got it, it's fascinating. But can we talk about Iowa for just a second before we get in? By the way, we have a great guest. Uh, We have uh, Tom Davis. Uh, one of the smartest guys in American politics, uh, who was the Republican chairman of the Oversight Committee uh, in in the House during the the Bush years, also the uh, the, the ranking member, um, and he spent uh, he spent more than a decade on that committee. So I I, I, he, I think he's got an interesting perspective on all this. Yeah. Uh, but I was out there. Did you see that
1: we talked to Bernie Sanders and I watched the show. I watched the Sunday show. Oh, How about God. that, John? Yeah well, so so, so let, let, let's let's set this up because Joe Biden got into the race a little more than a week ago and he's God, the front runner. It seems runner. like it's been a while. <laughs> Remember you said he wasn't going to get in. He's definitely in <laughs> now, John. We can <laughs> <that up>. So <laughs> He's immediately the front-runner. You see it in poll after poll. He has solidified his status, and people that were questioning, wait, did he wait too long or maybe his time has passed? He's, he's the front-runner. Look at it in the poll. And, and, and he raised
0: money, too. And he's I mean, raising we, money. We, we, and we, he's, we all raised out so whether or not he still, still can – and we'll see if he has the, the staying power on this uh, – and whether or not the, his poll ratings on day one would be the highest he'd ever see. I think his poll numbers actually kind of went up a little bit after he announced.
1: Yeah, and the, the race has some form. So that puts some other candidates in an interesting position because there was a certain guy he was the runner up last time who thinks he should have been the nominee last time he's running all over again he's got a lot lot of name recognition and Bernie Sanders there man. you are in Des Moines with him
0: yeah so i i you know i just want to play two little clips from this interview there was a lot that was interesting and uh, and if you go online we, we, we did post the whole thing uh, but the the part that i <laughs> you know <laughs> to ask him about biden cuz biden had said a while back that if he got in he would be the most progressive guy in the race and he hasn't backed away from that so Biden saying he'd be the most progressive guy in the race. What does the guy that actually likes to call himself a socialist, a democratic socialist, think about that? Take a listen. I'm sure you saw Joe Biden say that he is the most progressive candidate in this race.
2: Well, look, uh, Joe is a good friend of mine, and I'm not here to attack Joe. Uh, Joe voted for the war uh, in Iraq. I led the effort against it. Joe voted for NAFTA and permanent normal trade relations, trade agreements with China. I led the effort against that. Uh, Joe voted for the deregulation of Wall Street. I voted uh, against that. Uh, You know, I think if you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. By the way,
0: Rick, if I'm ever gonna like take a real swipe at you on something, I'm gonna start it by saying Rick's a good friend of mine. <laughs> good friend
1: of mine. Oh, good friend. <laughs> I mean, that was
0: a pretty, a good friend of mine. That was a pretty devastating one, two, three. Uh, he had that uh, ready from, to go, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and any any further criticized him on, on on other grounds as we went in, particularly on 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 health care. Um, but I also thought it was interesting. So you know, last time around, if you recall, uh, Sanders uh, said that. He was the only person in the race that was willing to take on the billionaire class, which was quite an attack on on Hillary Clinton. Um, I guess there were a few other Democrats still in the race at that point. Of course, uh, Lincoln Chafee, we all remember his uh, his campaign. Martin O'Malley. Uh, yeah. Martin O'Malley. Um, but uh, what about this time? I mean, we've got a you know we've got a number of of Democrats in this race that are essentially running on the Bernie Sanders platform, uh, Medicare for All. Um, Certainly, you know, anyway, so I asked him if that still applies this time around. Last time around, you said that you were the only candidate in the race willing to take on the billionaire class. Is that true now?
2: Well, I think Elizabeth Warren is a very good senator. Uh, You know, my views are different than Elizabeth's on this or that issue, but she's certainly a progressive candidate. Why are you a better choice for progressives than Elizabeth Warren? I, well, I'll let the voters decide that. Elizabeth, but you're going to have to you're have to. Well, we will that, right? deal with it, yeah, but I don't, not right now. I mean, not Elizabeth right. is, is a friend of mine. She's a serious candidate. She's a good candidate. We have our differences. We agree on a lot of things. We'll let the voters sort it out.
1: Another
0: okay, friend. Two, two, two things that were interesting with that. First of all is I didn't ask him about Elizabeth Warren. He brought her up right. and brought her up in a very positive context. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, the other thing is the phrase... We will deal with it, on uh, you know he's going to have to at some point uh, differentiate himself, differentiate himself with uh, with Warren. Uh, that could be a real battle on the on the left side of the stage. Um, and and he signaled that he you know he's got a lot of respect for this Warren, but he. That battle is one to come. Winter is coming, as we say.
1: Yeah, it's May, so he can say it's you know it's, <laughs> it's early yet, and it's six weeks away from the first debate. But he can make a plausible case that um, you know Joe Biden calls himself an Obama Biden Democrat. The Democratic Party has actually moved substantially at the national level since the Obama Biden era, and Bernie Sanders can claim a whole lot of policy victories, so to speak, inside his party or at least the, the majority of his party biden's calculation is the way that you win actually is by stitching back together a coalition they may feel left behind by the leftward uh, lurch among uh, among so many of the party leaders that have happened under trump but bernie can can say look I, I was the first out there i was the only guy calling for these things a medicare for all and a 15 dollars minimum wage things that have become very much mainstream democratic positions that puts biden in a bit of a box
0: By the way, there is one area that he has clearly different views than Elizabeth Warren in this race. You know what area I'm talking about? Go for it. Impeachment.
1: Mm, Well, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one because Warren is now... She's missed policy, but she is actually the cutting impeach, edge of that. Impeach, 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 and and she was on that. She's on the Senate floor just this week again, calling for it. That's an interesting thing. It's an interesting play toward a segment of the party base because Bernie Sanders is not there yet.
0: No, he's yeah. not there, and uh, yeah, we'll see where, where he moves. And Bernie doesn't doesn't change a lot, but he he's. He, you know, his argument has been, you start doing that, you make it all about Trump, then we don't talk about our issues, and then he runs around and, and wins again. You need to talk about the issues, and it's a distraction from the issues. It'll be interesting to see if he if he maintains that because that could be a big differentiator among the the – the real, the hardcore left of the party. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, much of the party, not just the left.
1: And as Nancy Pelosi uh, said just today at a Washington Post forum, the president is starting to look self-impeachable. Well, that's actually not how the process works, it, right? Didn't Romney, had,
0: well, yeah. Romney had something like that. I guess it was self, uh, self, self uh, deport. So, so that's kind of self, of like self-deportation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's like self, self impeachment. Is that?
1: Uh... But it is. It's intriguing because she's suggesting that the president is daring Congress to impeach him, and and that when he puts up all these walls and these barriers and say you can't see this document. You can't see this report. You can't see my taxes. You can't get this testimony from people around me. We're exerting executive privilege here very late in the game around the Mueller report. He's basically egging them on because he wants this fight. Republicans have been saying case closed around Mueller, but actually they see some political benefit in that case being relitigated because they view it as the Democrats overreaching in a time where the economy is humming. The public isn't really tuned in to to, to Mueller and the fallout. That story is done. He's the one that's going to keep it out there.
0: And, and Pelosi is implying or maybe outright saying that that, that, that Trump is, is, is baiting them into doing yeah. this. Uh, and is that what's going on? I mean, is he does he because if the, if the if the Democrats are all, you know, wound up in the axle uh, of impeachment, uh, that he gets to portray them as all they just want to talk about impeachment. Look at this wonderful economy. Let's talk about that.
1: Just as a point of fact, Republicans on Capitol Hill are talking about impeachment more often than Democrats. It's not that Democrats aren't. There is an impeachment bill. There are some that are talking about it, but it is not – They're talking about the, the Democrats doing it. They're talking about the Democrats doing it. And they're, they're suggesting that all of this is all a predicate for impeachment or you know them basically being too wimpy to call an impeachment. They're trying to do some kind of impeachment light with investigations. That may be true. But they, they see a political benefit, at least for now, in calling that out because they recognize that Democrats don't think that this is a smart – political play 18 months before an election. Uh, They're very worried about framing that election the way they want to. And, And the fact is, in this case, at least Bernie Sanders is closer to the mainstream Democratic position than Elizabeth Warren.
0: All right, Rick, let's take a quick break and come back and we'll talk about the constitutional showdown with our friend Tom Davis. All right. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. And we are joined now by Tom Davis, former Republican congressman from Virginia, uh, who, uh, of course, was the chairman of the Oversight Committee uh, for how many years? Remind me.
3: Well, I was on the committee for 14, but I was chairman for four and ranking member for two because we. Uh, as you know, we, we, we term limit we our term chairman limits, yeah. Uh, yeah. as a subcommittee chairman all the rest of the time on the committee.
0: So. And, and you, were, you were there during some pretty intense uh, periods, some very high-profile investigations. Uh, of course, you remember uh, the, uh, the the investigation into baseball and steroid use. Right. Um, I did Katrina. But, but, but you did Katrina, uh, which, as I recall, was a Republican president. And you right. were a Republican chairman, right. and you didn't really uh, – no. you, you didn't act as the defense counsel no. for the No, uh, Carl Rove was House. all upset,
3: and I'd say, Carl – the reports could have my name on it.
0: <laughs> so, so the reason why, first of all, we always love talking to you because nobody knows more about uh, about American politics than you do. Um, but I specifically wanted to talk to you about what we're seeing go down now in terms of oversight. It seems like, it, like, like we have reached the point of complete and total dysfunction. We have uh, the White House. Uh, now, uh, saying that asserting the president's asserting uh, uh, executive privilege basically to, to, to quash all uh, efforts to get documents and, and, and testimony uh, out of the White House related to anything to do with, uh, with, with Mueller. And it's not just Mueller. I mean, we, we, we've reached this point where uh, any issue that comes up, the, uh, the, the, the Democrats are out for blood and the, and the Republicans are our defense counsel.
3: Correct. I mean, the president's party in Congress. This predates Trump. It's just been an appendage of the executive branch. Congress no longer operates as an independent branch of government. It's basically they're acting like a parliamentary system in a balance of power structure.
0: And is that? I mean, should we be concerned about that? Because because it wasn't. I mean, you you certainly there were times when you carried water for the White House in in, in, in your role as uh, as the chairman there. But you were, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was covering Congress during those years. Uh, you you took pride in 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 having some independence and and mm-hmm. and, and 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 being very. You know, do, taking this, the, the job of oversight seriously, even when it was a, no. a, a president of your own party in no, the White House. No, I
3: was an institutionalist. I believed that Congress should be an independent branch, and that we had certain responsibilities. I investigated contracting in Iraq. I did an Abramoff investigation. Yep. If you remember, Karov had to hire his fire his secretary mm-hmm. for taking a lot of free tickets. Jack Abramoff,
0: so. the disgraced lobbyist, yeah, Republican uh, lobbyist, and you talked about his ties to key members of the of the of the administration of the Bush
3: administration. Uh, absolutely. Too. I mean, that, that's your that's kind of your job. But since then, if you remember under the Obama administration, even on Fast and Furious, which wasn't their initiative, they wouldn't turn over documents. And the Republicans got so frustrated, they held Eric Holder in contempt. So it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. Trump is an escalation of this, but he certainly didn't start this. This started b- before him.
0: But where, where, does, where does this go? Is the idea of congressional oversight... Uh, uh in 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 jeopardy years well
3: congress has punted i mean they wouldn't declare war remember the president would declare war in this on isis and they didn't want to touch it they got so burnt on iraq that they just said we don't want any part of it we'd rather be critics than we would be a party to things they did away with earmarks because the bridge to nowhere and a couple of things that l- appeared to be unpopular so you had a republican congress allowing obama to earmark dollars and now you have a democratic congress allowing trump to earmark the dollars i mean they, they've just punted they're feckless
1: So walk us through, if you're sitting in in the seat now, you have the gavel like Elijah Cummings does now, or Jerry Nadler, or Richie Neal, these chairmen who are being frustrated in their oversight efforts, they're being told executive privilege they're being told no we're not going to hand this over no we're not going to do this what recourse do you have as a committee chairman what kind of path do you need to pursue um, is is it right to hold a, a cabinet official in contempt of congress as a, as a recourse? What, does it mean?
3: What, what does it mean if you do i mean uh, you know uh, josh bolton was held in contempt of congress harriet Mears was in contempt of congress eric holder was in contempt of congress and they're we're still, still f- walking around they're doing pretty well <laughs> i saw harriet in dallas a, a year ago okay. she's doing fine Josh is running uh, the business roundtable, and Eric's pulling down seven figures. It yeah. didn't seem to hurt their reputations. Look, uh, it, it, let's, let's argue it both ways. I certainly share the Democrats' frustration as an institutionalist in not being able to get documents that 10, 20 years ago they would have gotten. Um, but it, they are party to this, too, because they were defending the, their administration under Fast and Furious and, and, again, being an appendage of the Obama administration. Uh, so I think that's that's part of it. But there's another issue that we don't talk about, and that is the Democrats are pussyfooting around the I-word. If they were to make this an impeachment inquiry, it's very clear they can get the documents and probably very quickly. But they don't want to go there. At that point, executive privilege, all these other things, for the most part, go away. These documents are easily gettable. You can go to the courts and probably get a pretty
1: prompt ruling. So yeah. your, your your view is that they are they're 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 trying to investigate rather than impeach, and that's in part well, leading I, to it, their frustrations.
3: I think yeah, because I think the rules on investigations per se have been tougher. Partly partly on their own doing. It didn't start with them. It's just been getting worse. I'm not sure who started all this, but it keeps getting worse with each Congress, and everybody's emboldened because, like you say, you hold them in contempt, and nothing happens.
1: Well, we'll talk about the, the what you say is the worsening on the on the part of the White House that Trump is now taking it to new levels, and there no he question. is he is saying publicly, "I'm, I'm not going to play at all. I'm not going to I'm not going to give anything. We're going to we're going to basically just stonewall on, on all these things. Yeah, just testifying me. to a party, not to Congress."
3: Yeah, come come get me. Well, basically, look, this is the parliamentary model, right? I mean, it's not about it's not a oh, parliamentary yeah. system, but that's the way both sides to tend to to operate. So the Democrats have got to decide how what they're going to handle us. I do. I think if they went to an impeachment inquiry, that's different from impeachment. If you remember, the first impeachment inquiry on Clinton had like 17, 18 Democrats vote for it. Uh, just yeah, we ought to go ahead. And then all the t- also the, all the documents, the privilege gets waived. It becomes pretty clear what they can do at that point. But because they're so afraid of the politics of that, they're going around the the other route, and so the administration is saying, "Well, look, Obama wouldn't turn these things over for Fast and Furious, and they did this, and so they're just escalating it one step further and just saying no to everything."
0: So, what what about what is the enforcement power, though? I mean, the, c- Congress is not the. Uh uh, is not the executive branch? Uh, what if if the executive branch is not going to go along with this? How do you how do you force them to it? I guess you can go to court, but what if? Well, here's the problem: what what, is, what, what, is that Congress
3: doesn't act as an independent branch. Again, the president's party is an appendage of the executive branch, and in the Senate in particular, so you can't punish them through the appropriations process like you might have uh, otherwise. I mean, you can, but it becomes more uh, difficult. Uh, Theoretically, the Sergeant Arms back in the 30s actually went and got people when they were subpoenaed and and brought them forward. Brought them and
0: threw them where? Do you have have a holding area? Uh, (laughs) It's it's
3: not very pleasant down there. No cable. I mean,
0: it's tough. It's not like the place Michael Cohen's at right now. No, it's
1: not. Nancy Pelosi also said it would get really full really fast if they actually enforced everything that they're going after in terms of executive branch oversight. But we We, we
0: could be heading to a constitutional crisis here if – if you know, the president has drawn a line here, he has been adamant. Well, Jonathan, we say that. But yeah. you go
3: out in the hinterlands and you say crisis, unemployment's 3.2 percent. I'm making full. you know, the markets are, I mean, it, it's, it's the crisis is in the eye of us and the insiders who understand the mechanisms of, of government. I don't think the average person on the street is seeing a crisis. I, I think they've blanked this out in their mind. He's either guilty or he's absolved. So Think about it.
1: In addition to being an expert in all things oversight, you're also a, a, a political wizard as the former NRCC chair and a, and a very successful one um, it, for a couple of cycles. Uh, I, I, a lot of what we heard, even today on Wednesday in the uh, in the Judiciary Committee, was Republicans just indignant about the idea of uh, of there being these questions being asked, and they're citing the economy and they're saying history is going to be on our side as a political matter. Does it matter to the Republican Party that it is lining up? with Foursquare behind President Trump. Is there a risk for Republicans? They haven't felt it so far. Uh, they felt it from the right flank if they uh, dare, uh, dare well, criticize. Maybe,
3: maybe for Cory Gardner. Okay. Maybe for Susan Collins. Maybe for a, a small, very a few members. Uh, yeah. But for the most, these districts have been pretty sorted at this point, And the only major race is the primary. And they're on the right side of this politically for their primary voters when you think about it.
0: But you, you mentioned there's no question. That we've seen And by
3: the way, Democrats the same thing. You do have a whole flock of, of new Democrats right. who've come in in marginal seats, and if you, if they're they're not leading the charge on this, if you notice,
0: right? Well, well, well you do have a um, uh, you do have an economy that's the best we've seen in a long time. You've got even real wage growth. It's not only right. the uh, the kind of macro numbers, not just the markets. It's you know real people are seeing their their you know the difference in their in their paychecks, um, but You know, is there a larger principle here that that Republicans are going to are going to come to regret violating? I mean, I I think back to I didn't cover the guy, maybe uh, Warren Harding. Um, (laughs) We we had a damn good economy during the the Harding administration. And history doesn't look back too kindly uh, on on, on President Harding. No, no. and there was, and there was some. There it was actually
3: weakened for Coolidge's election, but Coolidge got elected anyway. Uh, we were in the part of a big sorting out process, pre-pre New Deal at that point. Well, if if you're saying is Trump worried about his place in history, I can tell you the day he took office, a lot of the professional historians were going to write a an obituary for him. They didn't like him to begin with. I mean, they're from the elite the institutions. So
0: Trump's going to do what Trump does, but yeah. but but the but the party is is, is no longer. You know, it's no longer the Republican Party. It's the Donald Trump Party. Correct. I mean, he, I mean he, he comes out, and he meets with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, and he comes out and says, we're going to do a $2 trillion, you know, stimulus plan. And I, I hardly hear uh, uh, any any complaints about it. In con- Can you imagine if 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 Obama had come out and talked about, you know, spending $2, Jonathan, mili- $2, $2 trillion? Dollars? Spending only matters when the other guys... Are yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, but, I mean, are... are, are I don't even know exactly what I'm asking you here. Well, you're say, asking me,
3: is there a lot of hypocrisy here? A well, there lot is of a lot of talk.
0: hypocrisy, so I'll take that answer. But, but, but what are the Republicans going to regret what they've done here? Is this going to backfire, either in terms of how history looks at it or how it's going to look politically? The economy's not going to stay like this forever. Donald Trump, I mean, I, I don't know. Trump is worried
3: about where the economy is a year from now. Exactly. That, that's what matters to him mm-hmm. and, his, and to the Republicans. They look, look the long term to a politician is two years, maybe six years if you're a senator. And that's kind of where they look at this. Institutionally, is it a bad thing that Congress has become feckless and not been the Article One power that was envisioned by the founders? Absolutely. I mean, we should have had a balance of powers. But with the media models now, which basically p- feed people what they want to hear. And I'm not talking about ABC. But not I'm, this podcast. Uh, and, and certainly not this podcast. Um, but y- y- you're getting this sorting, uh, residential sorting that's in contributing to these single-party uh, districts and the like. Uh, it's, it has become a mess. But we haven't learned to, how, how to work with these third-party communications and the rapidity of change in the world. It's not just the United States. It's the uk and ukrainian who do they i mean there's brexit there what happened to the ukraine they elect a, a comedian who played the president on tv i mean the, donald trump didn't start this he's a manifestation of of much larger forces that have been unleashed so do the republicans have something to worry about absolutely but, but so do the democrats the democrats have now gone to i say tribal voting patterns these these um identity politics and they have unleashed forces that they can't control at this point And so within their own – you've got Omar talking one way and their Jewish members feeling uncomfortable. I mean they've unleashed some forces, and I think it sorts itself out, but it's going to take some time to do that. There's no question that people who were Republicans in Fairfax County that supported me for when I ran for the the chief job in the county and when I ran for Congress – Many of them no longer consider themselves Republicans.
1: So one, one other question on on enforcement mechanisms, because John Carl asked earlier, referenced earlier, the, the baseball hearings. and I remember that. I remember covering Capitol Hill at the time. And the original answer from baseball executives and I think from some of the players is, we're not coming. We're, right. We don't have to play on this. You got them there anyway. I, I wonder what this means for oversight more broadly. How you can force people in the private sector to show up if if the executive branch is going to thumb its nose at any congressional oversight? You have a you know, if next time there's something like that, do they show up?
3: Well, so when you get called before a hearing, you worry about your own damage, what can happen to you, and you always worry about reputational damage as well. Trump doesn't care about that. I mean, for him, he's just defying that at this point. He's playing hardball, but there are people that get caught in the middle, and I think of poor Don McGann, who worked for me, who was a I think comes off as a pretty honorable guy. He was always top. Well, of, he worked for you at the committee. At the committee, he yeah. was my in-house uh, counsel. I, um, I've always thought the world of Don, um, and he so he volu- he goes and, and tells spills his bill, tells the tr- I I believe he told the truth, and now they want to call him up. And the president's claiming privilege and to force him, they now want to say they hold him in contempt and ruin his career because he did the right thing and went up and told the truth. Told him he
1: honest to Mueller. Yeah, yeah.
3: So so we're in a society today, politically particularly, where bad behavior gets rewarded. You yell, you lie in the State of the Union. And what happens? You raise million a million dollars online the next week. Yeah, exactly. The, the more outrageous you are and uh, and good behavior, is in gets punished.
0: So, so where's the course correction? How do we... How do we well,
3: voters have to make it. And the voters right now don't seem to be making these single-party districts. The more outrageous you are, the more likely you are to win the nomination. And there are just not enough swing districts to bring this thing back to the middle.
1: Uh, Congressman, uh, when you when you look at the the situation on Capitol Hill, I'm curious if you put yourself back in the old shoes that you once inhabited and thought what you would be doing in, in, a, this nightmare, yeah. in a nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> if you were, I, 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 people hate those hypotheticals, but you, you can't help but watch hearings like this and, and wonder, what would Tom Davis be doing in this situation? Do you think you would have exerted substantially more oversight than the than the last uh, the Congress did of in course. the first two years. Of course. And in a situation like this, were there things in the Mueller report that you think are still de- deserving of scrutiny or Democrats just playing a political game? And if I can just jump on before
0: you answer, if you just just to just to further paint the picture here, you had Barr come before the, 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 the two committees, Senate and mm-hmm. House committees. And uh, correct me if I'm, I don't think I heard like a serious substantive question from a Republican. I mean, it was all on on, on the substance of, of of the Mueller report. It was all on you know the the investigating the investigators and all the other side, but not. I mean, th- there are serious issues regardless of where of where you are party wise, um, and, and and during the during the two years that the Republicans controlled the House, as as Rick alluded, to, the, the oversight was well, was basically non-existent. A, and I go those back, committees were defense counsel for the White House. And I go back
3: to when the Democrats controlled under Obama. Same thing. This is a, this is history. When the president's party's in control, they under-investigate. When the other party's in control, they over-investigate. Where's the medium? And sure, some real questions were raised in the Mueller reports. And that's why he bucked it to Congress. He didn't feel comfortable making that determination. Why, I think, is subject to to speculation. Some people think they know why, but you'd want to hear from him in terms of why he didn't make those decisions. And I think the Democrats would have every right to try to ask these questions, but understand the political game. Republicans say game, set, match. And what they're most angry about is the fact that Barr came forward, issued that four-page letter, and basically it's over. Right. And uh, they want to end it with that without asking questions. Again, the easy route for the Democrats, if they want this stuff, is to declare an impeachment inquiry. They get these documents but, 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 pretty quick, but they Davis don't want to do, do that.
0: What does Tom Davis do if he's if he's either chairman of the committee in those first two years or if he's now uh, the ranking member? I don't think you'd be acting quite like Jim Jordan, would you?
3: No, we're very different people, and we have very different constituencies. Jim Jordan's from a very a rural Ohio uh, constituency, a chock full of Trump people. I'm from Fairfax County, where Trump got 32 percent of the vote. So... Every incentive for me is to act a little bit differently. I mean, I don't want to say that I was completely principled. I mean, you're allowed to dance a little bit in this business. (laughs) And I was always mindful of what my constituents in Fairfax would say. So when I did a blistering Katrina report on Bush... When I came up for re-election in two thousand six, Bush had a twenty-nine percent approval rating, and being able to be critical of him, there was—I I, look—I I think I did when the he's right down, place. Right? Is that the- no, well, you got to look after number one. You want to show—you want to show that separation that you're not right. joined at the hip, and you could point—you yeah. could point to this, and you could say these things. We don't have enough districts like that where people are appropriately politically incentive- incentivized. Look, not everybody is completely uh, uh, devoid of principle in this business. But politics reassuring. But <laughs> not, not everybody. I mean, I it's mean, completely devoid of. You, you take a guy like Jim, Jim Cooper from from Nashville, who I yeah. think the world of, a very very principled. But most of these members, uh, at this point, they like getting reelected and they pay attention to their constituencies. And right now, as you said, uh, Donald Trump owns the self-identified Republicans today. His his identification, his positive among self-identified Republicans, as high as it's been for any uh, Republican president.
0: All right, I, I think we've I think we've already used up too much of your time. But before you go, uh, we got to ask you about the Washington Nationals because I know you're you're a, you're a big baseball fan. Uh, I see you out at the games uh, quite often. Uh, is the season over?
3: No, it's not. It's a long, long season, but they got to get hot pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Look, I think when they get their their lineup back in, uh, pitching gets moving, defense gets moving, they they'll, they'll start winning some games and put something together. But right now, it, it, they're just a pitiful. Just just a pitiful shadow of what they were expected to be at the
0: beginning of the year. Davy Martinez, the manager.
3: Well, I think it starts there. And I think yeah, how long – last year I think he underperformed a lot of on-the-job training at this point. The manager takes the brunt. Uh, look, you've got to give them some time. But right now, the last few games, it, it's been awful. It's been – they don't even belong in AAA the way they've been playing.
1: So I think we can mark you down as optimistic on the Nationals and pessimistic on American democracy. I'm optimistic on American okay. democracy. <laughs> I, look, it, in a crisis, we're
3: not Greece. On TARP, the, it, we, it may be ugly. But it, the, look, most of the members there are there for the right reasons. It's just the incentives today uh, to, with your party bases driving you one way or the other with the media kind of rewarding bad behavior and with the super PACs coming in as enforcement mechanisms in your primaries, you put those things together, it makes it hard for even good people to act.
0: All right. Well, that is all the time we have now for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. Thank you for our entire team, Trevor Hastings, our our, our grand poobah up there in New York, Annika Merrilles in her last appearance here as our, as our, as our intern, uh, of course, Avery Miller and Andy Yak. We'll be back next week.